Welcome to Dangerous Christianity with Dr. Christopher Rodkey, where we explore new ways of being Christian that go against the grain, stands up against the church when it's evil, speaks truth to power, and reclaims the Bible as a radical message of hope, liberation, and justice. Dr. Rodkey is pastor of St. Paul's United Church of Christ in Dallastown, Pennsylvania, and leads the sacred profane community, a post-faith gathering for those seeking to nurture a literate and misfit geeky, sometimes sneaky, as well as a queer-affirming and beer-affirming spirituality. All information mentioned throughout the program is listed in the show notes. And now, please welcome Dr. Christopher Rodney. Thanks for joining me for Dangerous Christianity, which is my sermon podcast from St. Paul's United Church of Christ in Dallastown, Pennsylvania. This is Pastor Chris Rodkey. If you'd like to give a donation to the church, you can uh, find the instructions in the show notes for the podcast, or you can email a tax-deductible donation to St. Paul's United Church of Christ, which is an open and affirming ministry, at 205 West Main Street, Dallastown, Pennsylvania, 17313. And feel free to contact me directly if you have prayer requests or concerns or thoughts to share. Thanks and have a great day. Our gospel reading is taken from the ninth chapter of Luke, verses 21 through 27. He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Then he said to them all, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and daily follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves? Those who are ashamed of me and my words Of them, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. We hear Jesus speaking about his looming death to his disciples, that he will be rejected. And it's worth pointing out here that he's making clear not just one group will be responsible for his rejection, but that he will triumph. That's the point. But he says, don't tell anyone. Then Jesus turns to everyone around him and says, if anyone wants to follow me, deny yourselves and take up the cross. If you prioritize your life, you will lose it. If you're ashamed of Jesus, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he returns. And then a perplexing statement. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This statement, this prediction of Jesus has been hotly debated over the centuries. Was Jesus just wrong when he said this? Did he make a mistake? Was he being haughty? Was he being pretentious? Was he saying something in code language that insiders would understand and others would not? Jesus clearly is not talking about himself as he's 
just told us that he's going to die. He's talking about the others in the room and he's not talking about all of them, but some of them. And Jesus isn't saying that they're all that they all won't see the kingdom of God, but only that some will see it before they die. What Jesus is saying, I propose, is that the kingdom of God is not something of the next world necessarily, but it is something to be understood happening in this immediate plane, this imminent plane of the here and now. Jesus emphasizes over and over again that the kingdom of God will come about in this world. But Jesus says that some of them will see it. But what does that mean? To back up a little bit, I want to talk about the reference to the word cross. This isn't the first time the word cross is introduced in the Gospel of Luke. The word does not appear at all in the entire Gospel until this sentence. We all know that when Jesus says he's talking about his followers taking up the cross, not him. This is a bit of a literary device to reference and connect the story with things to come, which we know because we know the story. But the word cross had a very significant weight to someone in the first century. The word cross or the idea of a crucifixion was almost a kind of swear word. It was something that would have sent shock through your body if you heard it or thought about it. It was considered a profane word. The cross represented not just a gruesome and painful or embarrassing way to die that the Romans uh, instituted on those that they oppressed. It represented the abuse of power that the empire had. They used crucifixion as a tool to frighten the subjects that they occupied. The crucifixion was also a symbol of division. And this might have been something that country people thought more about than city people at the time, that the invitation of the inhabitants of the city to join in the mocking and participation of the ritual as they carried the cross through the streets of Jerusalem to their site of exec execution was about embarrassing the one dying as much as possible. People from the city would spit and throw food and insult those carrying the cross through the narrow streets. The cross to those who were in the countryside was seen as an act of power by Rome. It was seen as something that led Jews to scapegoat other Jews. And that city folk participating in it were adding to the horror and normalizing it as much as should be expected or hoped for as part of the process of living in peace under Roman occupation. Some of the irony of Christians adopting the cross or the crucifix would have been seen as something more than just offensive. It would have been seen as abject, something that you would feel throughout your body as a kind of fear and disgust at the same time. And for some of the people in the countryside, they might have only heard about crucifixions in the city. It was an idea that was terrible and terrifying. Following someone who is an emergent religious leader or someone who might cause division was clearly leading anyone who followed to the cross. But crucifixion in reality was even more horrible than the idea of it. In fact, we know that crucifixion was actually debated by some of the upper class people in Rome. 
arguing that the practice crossed the line in expressing the brutal power of the empire and that it would inevitably cause more bloodshed than what it avoided as a scare tactic or as a form of criminal punishment. So when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, then take up your cross daily and follow me. We know these words, but we need to remember to consider them in first century terms. This would have been a terrifying or frightening thing to hear. Maybe even a little confusing as someone participating in the execution in a way that they viewed others who were betraying their own people. If you participated in a crucifixion, you were a hypocrite and you were a traitor. Taking up your cross for followers meant crossing borders, placing oneself in danger, not clearly picking sides between human options which are limited and themselves are not good options. Taking up the cross referenced the long walk of shame through the narrow streets of the city, carrying the instrument of your own execution through the streets, exposing yourself to scrutiny, mockery, the gestures of children, the taunting betrayal of your own people. Taking up the cross was to renounce everything that you have and everything that you've earned, any titles or wealth or prestige, any respectability as a human being or citizen is stripped away while being spat upon and rotten food and feces thrown on you as you go to the place of the skull to be stripped naked and nailed to the cross. And then eventually drowned in your own blood as your lungs uh, in your lungs before you could bleed to death. If you were fortunate, the dogs wouldn't be encouraged to eat at your feet or your eyes be poked out by birds while you were still alive. You hoped to be dead before that happened. The executed's family might be too embarrassed to claim the body or too scared to be identified by the Roman officials to be connected to the one being executed. When you were executed by crucifixion, you were effectively erased from existence with as much agony and shame as thought possible. So in our practice of Lent, this purple season, what would it mean for us to take up our own cross? We know that wearing a cross is fashionable as a necklace or earrings or tattoos. During Jesus' time, it would have been offensive to just say the word cross, let alone wear a cross or have the word cross associated with you. It wasn't just referencing something the Romans were doing. It would have been making light of something very serious. Glorifying the cross as something ideal would have been seriously offensive to those hearing this for the first time especially his disciples, knowing that execution might very well be in their future. When Jesus says then, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God, Jesus is speaking to those few who will follow him and take up their cross daily. Daily is a important word here. And doing so is a glimpse of the kingdom of God or getting a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Even if it's just a glimpse of how much more we need to work toward realizing a world of true peace and, just, and justice and abundance. Taking up the cross then, which means sacrificial living and placing oneself in danger for others, renouncing worldly extravagant goods, 
working against oppression, even when that means undergoing suffering, being rejected by your elders, being rejected by the self-righteous, being rejected by partisan accusers, denying themselves, being and living abject with Jesus as being pushed out of the world, taking up your own cross and following Jesus. That is, being the hands and feet of Jesus. With the faith that ultimately the gospel is about hope. Jesus says there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This word see is important to point out here because something is lost in translation, which is one of the reasons why it might not make a, little, a whole lot of sense if we look at it literally in English. This word, which is uh, hidoosin uh, in Greek, it does mean see, but it also means understand in the same way that people today might say, I see to say, I understand. But the weird grammar here, which I only put on the screen uh, in case anyone wants to Google it on their own, uh, means something done more actively in the present that will directly result in something happening as a result of it. And that cause and effect is a definite and is understood in a definite and literal way. That's the key thing here. It is arriving to more than one of you. The kingdom of God is coming to more than one of you, but not to me. And this word see is an action word. The, the idea of seeing in the ancient world was like grasping something. When you see something, you are using your eyes to grasp something that you're looking at. When you see something, you're doing something to it. There is a doing aspect to this sense of understanding. There's no similar grammar in most modern languages to compare with what's going on with this word in Greek. In other words, this line, truly there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God, is to say, truly I tell you there are some of you who will not die before they will consequently understand their minds and actions what I am saying the kingdom of God is. I'll say that again. Truly, I tell you, there are some of you who will not die before they will consequently understand in their minds and actions what I am saying the kingdom of God is. Some of you will understand in this lifetime what I'm talking about, Jesus says. And it's more than saying something it's, or believing something, it's doing something. And this is a significant detail, not because it helps us make sense of what Jesus is saying, but it's saying something about the ability of Jesus's followers and what they are called to do and live like Jesus. And what does this mean doing? It means, as we've said before, living sacrificially, going into places you normally wouldn't go, taking risks, including the risk of your own reputation, being betrayed by people close to you, giving away what you don't need, working hard with your hands and feet to be the hands and feet of Jesus using your mouth to speak the prophetic words of God against oppression. But in the end, this sacrificial living is about hope. And about the promise given by Jesus that you should live in hope because you will see the kingdom of God in this lifetime, even if it's only a glimpse, and be prepared to enter the next life. But it's about hope 
that comes by individuals taking up their cross daily and living sacrificially. Because there's only one hope that we need. That if we are united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with Jesus in a resurrection like his. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so be it. Thank you for listening to Dangerous Christianity. For more information about how to get involved in the movement, how to contact Dr. Christopher Rodkey, or where to find information regarding his preaching itinerary, publications, or how to make a contribution to his ministry, please refer to the listed show notes. Dr. Rodkey, again, would like to thank all of his listeners for continuously supporting and tuning into his work and message. Thank you.